Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we'll be joined in studio by Zimbabwe native Chartwell Dutiro, a world-renowned vocalist and Mbira player. He'll be alongside members of the group Timbila, which includes Nora Balaban, and a name you probably recognize from past shows, Banning Air, senior editor and producer of Afropop Worldwide. They'll perform in studio live for us as we focus on Africa today, where we live. Chartwell and Timbila are performing in Connecticut this weekend. Now, besides hearing them live, we'll learn about the Imbira tradition, an instrument with deep roots in Zimbabwe. That's all coming up later in the show. You can join the conversation. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Where We Live. Now, first, in a few days, I'll be heading to the African continent, Senegal to be exact, in West Africa. It's a reporting trip for WMPR, where I'll follow the work of the Connecticut-based nonprofit La Corsa. La Corsa is working with local groups in Senegal to help rural villages open their own community radio stations. And because while many of them listen to the radio there, they're often cut off from local news or news and information from the capital of Dakar. Besides following the radio project, I'll be reporting on other stories in Senegal and profiling interesting people I meet along the way. You can follow my travels and stories on WMPR and on our website, WMPR.org. Now, as I get ready for the trip, there's been a lot to learn about Senegal. Now, how much do you know about this country? To tell us more, we're joined now by, the, by phone, Papa Ibrahima Sao. He's president of the Senegalese Association of America in New York City. Ibrahima, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you are from Senegal. When did you come to the United States? I came in the U.S. back in 1997, in the summer of 1997. It's now 20 years, pretty much. And you're now president of this association. Tell us about the group. Yes, the association, like you just said, is the Association of Senegalese in America. Uh, it was founded 30 years ago uh, for the purpose of just helping each other, just uh, continuing to build the solidarity, and especially doing a lot of social work, helping, helping people secure housing, find jobs, helping people also uh, navigate the system uh, wherever they are in the U.S. It's a large organization uh, with pretty much 6,000 members across the U.S., but the bulk of our members are uh, based in the New York metro area, and we have our headquarters in Harlem, in Manhattan, New York, and uh, pretty much that's what we do. Why Harlem? Uh, why Harlem? That's a good. That's a good question. That's because Harlem is pretty much the place where you will find the largest concentration of Senegalese in the U.S. And it has been like that since the beginning. Uh, in the early, I mean, in the late '80s, early '90s, when people start coming and settling in the U.S., uh, they came in New York and they uh, they found a place in Harlem. I guess that's because uh, rent was more affordable. Also, because of the proximity, the sociological proximity with the African-American community that was very welcoming. But uh, after all, uh, Harlem is the place, again, where you find the largest concentration of Senegalese in the U.S. 
You mentioned 6,000 members in the U.S. Uh, as part of the Senegalese Association of America. What other cities do you find large populations from Senegal? Uh, you find large population in Atlanta, Georgia, in Cincinnati, Ohio, and Columbus, Ohio. Also in Chicago and uh, in Philadelphia, Rhode Island, pretty much uh, across the, 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 the U.S. Uh, but the biggest concentration, you find them in New York. Uh, in Harlem and also in Bed-Stuy in Brooklyn. Now, what should our listeners, what should I know about Senegal? I understand that the country is majority Muslim, still very secular, and um, both uh, ethnic groups and different religions, they all get along very well, not something you see in other African nations. Give us a little backstory on Senegal. Yeah, that's pretty much the back, uh, the, 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 the mark of fabric. Uh, that's a country that is uh, very small, uh, but also very stable, uh, very stable, like you just said. It's a country of more than 90% of Muslim, but uh, very secular. with a secular constitution. The first president of the country was a Christian, and it was told that uh, the Muslim uh, elite helped the president, which was the Christian, to be the president of the country. We never had issues uh, in terms of religion. Uh, the, in terms of nation building also, even though the country is a very small country, it's a, it's a very, uh, it's a superpower, I, I would say, in terms of nation building, because one of the biggest issues that had faced uh, some African countries and uh, nations was building and achieve a nation building. And it created a lot of conflict in the countries and destabilized a lot of countries. Uh, Senegal was shielded on that. Uh, they had a very integrated nation. People got along very, very well, even though there's a lot of ethnic groups. Uh, something else is uh, the, the democratic process. Uh, since uh, the independence, which was uh, taken like half a century ago, we have been having uh, multipartism elections. And uh, in the past, let's say, uh, 20 years, we've had two changes, changes of power, and all of them acquire, uh, happen through elections. So uh, it's a small country, uh, very stable, we never had a military coup. Uh, pretty much all the transitions were democratic transitions where the power was handed through elections, uh, also where the nation is extremely uh, uh, integrated and very well. You mentioned uh, the independence of Senegal uh, more than 50 years ago um, from France. When someone looks at the map of, of, of Senegal, there's an interesting sliver of a country uh, closer to the near the bottom of Senegal, the Gambia. Tell us about uh, that relationship between the Gambia and Senegal. That's a very interesting relationship. Uh, the Gambia, as you could see, is pretty much inside Senegal. It's a part of a land that is inside Senegal. And the groups... Uh, the ethnic groups that are in Gambia are the same one that you will find in Senegal. Uh, but the, they are two different countries. Uh, Senegal was a colony of France, and Gambia was a colony of England. And they speak French in Senegal as official language, and they speak uh, English in Gambia. Uh, also, in terms of a democratic perspective, we've been luckier in Senegal than in Gambia, because, like I said earlier, in Senegal we've been having, we had a lot of elections and Pretty much the change of power happened through uh, elections. In Gambia, it was different. Uh, the Gambian president uh, that was removed from power a few years, a few months ago, I would say, had been in power for, I believe, 26 years. And uh, 
uh, he acquired the power of Kuku, and the relationship is kind of very ambivalent. Sometimes, uh, since the populations are very integrated, that's the same population. But in terms of governments, uh, due to the fact, I would say that in Gambia, it's mostly uh, it was a military power that was there. Uh, it wasn't very stable as a relationship. Recently, there was a change of power in Gambia, and the uh, the president that is there now is elected through power uh, through elections. Uh, we can hope and we can also expect, due to the signs that have been coming from there recently, that the relationship between the two countries will be much better. I mean, at the level of the governments, because the relationship in the at the level of the population have always been great, because that's the same population. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. On the phone with me is Papa Ibrahima Sao, president of the Senegalese Association of America in New York City. We're learning about Senegal today because I'll be heading to uh, this nation uh, on the West Africa, West African coast uh, because of a reporting project for WNPR, uh, looking at the power of radio and efforts to help rural villages open community radio stations. Uh, now, uh, Papa, how often do you go back to, to Senegal? I go back pretty much very often. I go back at least once a year. Uh, the organization also that I'm heading, uh, we have a, a, a very tight relationship with the government of Senegal. Uh, me and pretty much all the immigrants that are here have a very close relationship with the, uh, the families left back home. Uh, as you know, uh, the Senegalese uh, uh, nation and the Senegalese country itself depend a lot on the money remittance that comes from the immigration, the immigrant population, because a big part of the immigrant, the population of Senegal is constituted of immigra immigrants, and those immigrants have never severed uh, the ties between uh, them and the country, and they always send back money to the population or the families left back home. And the relationship uh, for myself and for pretty much everybody else between us and the country is extremely tight. And we maintain constant communication with the families back home. And also we take all every time the news that are coming back home, from, back, from back home. We talked a little earlier, Papa Ibrahima, about um, the fact that Senegal is a majority Muslim nation. I'm curious what the impressions are in the Senegalese community here in Harlem, um, as well as the Senegalese back home, uh, with some of the rhetoric regarding immigrants and also some of the, the nations that are majority Muslim uh, that are put on these travel watch lists. Uh, it's very shocking. Uh, that's the impression. If you want me to tell you the truth. It's uh, very shocking what we have seen coming from uh, the new leadership in the U.S., uh, especially when some Muslim nations are target, targeted and those Muslim populations are being banned from the U.S. And um, because we are a country that is of a majority of Muslim, we are saying maybe one day it's going to be our turn. Uh, we are also very, very relieved to see that uh, through the court system, uh, this decision has not been implemented. But uh, being the fact that uh, some Muslim countries or populations from some Muslim countries are being barred from coming in the U.S., or just the tightening of the immigration, uh, uh, the immigration laws in the country uh, uh, is very worrisome for uh, immigrants like us and also for people back home uh, thinking that uh, America used to be a very open society, a very welcoming society, 
and it's becoming a country that uh, people are being uh, uh, put out from, uh, becoming a country also where people are not welcome at all. Um, as I mentioned, I'm heading to Senegal. What should I be looking for when I go there? Oh, you should be looking for a lot of things. And among those things, first of all, is the specific mark of fabric of Senegal called teranga. Uh, people are very, very welcoming. They love to receive uh, foreigners in their houses. That's something that you should be looking for. Something else that you should be looking for is the food. Uh, Senegal, as you know, is a very coastal country. We have, uh, we are right across from the Atlantic Ocean. There is a lot of uh, fish, and uh, that's something that you should be uh, enjoying when you're there. Also, the chabujan, which is the national uh, dish, uh, it's made with rice and fish and uh, vegetables. Uh, or also the yasa, which is also another dish. Uh, pretty much a lot of things, but um, uh, the most important ones are the teranga. Uh, I'm sure you would be welcome and also uh, enjoy the the food and also enjoy the, the, the weather because, uh, like I said, it's a very tropical country with a lot of sun, with also a lot of beautiful coach, uh beaches. Papa Ibrahim Asao is president of the Senegalese Association of America in New York City. Uh, pa, thank you so much for talking with us today, Papa. We appreciate it. That was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, coming up, we're going to shift our focus to African music, this time from Zimbabwe, clear on the other side of the continent. Musician Chartwell Dutiro and members of the band Timbila join us live in studio and will perform for us, too. Join the conversation. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. I want to welcome to the studio now Chartwell Dutiro, world-renowned vocalist and Mbira player and teacher, and some members of the group Timbila, Nora Balaban, vocalist and co-founder of the group, and a name where we live and NPR listeners know by now, Banning Air, senior producer of Afropop Worldwide, also co-founder of Timbila. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Uh, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> Banny, I'll start with you. Tell us what that track was that we were listening to. Oh, well, we just had a taste of it. That's, uh, that's, that's a traditional Zimbabwean song called Bukatende that we recorded with Chartwell as part of uh, a new CD we're releasing that has two CDs. And the first is traditional songs like that, which Chartwell will say more about in a second. And, and the other is our own Timbila, more experimental, more, more kind of... Uh, doctored version of the tradition that Chartwell has helped us bring to uh, a final form. But Chartwell, why don't you, why don't you talk about that song, Bukatiende? What does it mean? Well, Bukatiende means get up, let's go. But um, in the lyrics, we are also talking about thinking about the ancestors. You know, we are sort of asking questions, you know, may somebody tell us where the rest of the people have gone? Uh, it feels poor to be alone. So it's encouraging us to think about ancestors and connect with them. Now, Buka Tiende, again, uh, one of the songs on this CD that you collaborated with, with Timbila, uh, the CD is called Sadza with the Head of a Mouse. Talk about the collaboration. When did you first all meet, and how long have you been working on something like this? Well, we I could say 
three years ago, that's when we started this particular uh, collaboration. But me and Benning go a long way, me, maybe nearly 30 years. 30 years. Yeah, and with <laughs> Nora, I have met her sort of like five years ago, 2013. I think that's mm -hmm. when I first met Nora. But I guess you and knew each other before. We met in Zim Nora and I met in Zimbabwe about 20 years ago and have been working together ever since. So there's a lot of layers to the, uh, <laughs> the connection. Uh, you're mentioning Nora Balaban, who's also in studio with us, co-founder of the group Timbila. Um, Nora, I understand that you, know, you began your musical career way back in 1980. You've got a lot of different influences. Tell us about that. Well, I come out of the CBGB's Max's Kansas City kind of punk rock and roll East Village scene. And um, I started playing African music in the mid-80s. And um, as Banning mentioned, we met 20 years ago. I went to Zimbabwe to learn to play Mbira, and I went to Mozambique to learn Timbila. And Banning and I met in Zimbabwe when he was with Mopfumo. And when we came back to New York, we started playing traditional music together, and then we sort of started messing around with it and doing our own thing. You mentioned two instruments that uh, people may not be familiar with, the imbira and the timbila. Um, can you first, Chartwell, tell us about the imbira, which is tra traditional to your native land? Yeah, imbira is, a, a, I would say, sacred instrument, really. It's made out of hand-forged metal pieces that are placed on very hard wood. And as you can see, we've got these big gourds. We have to put the mbira inside a gourd for more resonance. And uh, it's that kind of music that is always passed down from generation to generation orally without being written down. And it connects Shona people with the spirits of their ancestors. When did you start playing the mbira, Chartwell? I, I would say maybe when I was four, but, I mean, you are born in the music anyway. I'm sure I first heard the music probably when I was in, mom's, in my mother's <laughs> womb. And then, you know, I was born in it. And my mother was a very good singer of Mbira. And so uh, she would take me everywhere where she goes. So I would be probably on my mother's back thinking all oh, the babies asleep. But I was awake. That's when I was getting all the music and the rhythms of the mbira. So as far as I remember, maybe when I was four. You mentioned uh, your mother was a big influence. Who was your mentor? My mentor uh, traditionally would be my uncle called William Chitauru. But then I, you know, when I was sort of in my teenage, I, I moved into Harare and then met up with Thomas Mafumo, who did quite a lot of uh, mentoring on me in terms of mixing the mbira and the uh, Western instruments like guitars and what I would call you know, a collaboration in itself when you mix traditional music with Western instruments. I think Thomas did quite a big influence on me as well. You mentioned Thomas Mapfumo and the Blacks Unlimited, who yeah. you played with for some time. Banning, you wrote a book about Thomas Mapfumo. Tell our listeners again who he was. Okay, well, Thomas Mapfumo is probably the most significant popular singer of, of Zimbabwe. You can make imprecise comparisons to 
Bob Dylan because of the number of songs and their sort of poetic impact on various events in the country's history. Um, you could also make a comparison in the realm of African music to Fela Kuti in Nigeria um, because he was a very political singer, and he, he still is. He lives in, in Eugene, Oregon now. He's in exile, but but during from his first recordings in the mid '60s up until the time when he left Zimbabwe in 2004, he sang songs that engaged with the politics and the history at every moment. So he's a very consequential singer. He's also a brilliant musical innovator. I mean, the time when I first went to Zimbabwe in 1988 with Sean Barlow, when we were just creating Afropop Worldwide, and when I first met Chartwell, it was very exciting to discover a band that had that level of depth and tradition, but was also an incredibly exciting band to hear live and dance halls full of people just in ecstasy. It was, uh, it was a wonderful experience. So there's a lot there in, uh, in the story of, of Thomas, uh, but you'll have to read the book for that. Lion Songs. That's right, Lion Songs. <laughs> I wanted to go back to, to Chartwell because you played with Thomas Mopfumo and the Blacks Unlimited and the, your um, expertise in the Mbira. How did Thomas see that instrument and how it, what, how it influenced others? Well, I would like to say Thomas welcomed me very well because I, I also play saxophone. So in terms of having the mbira in the band, I, I'm probably one of the first people who actually brought the mbira into the mix. Otherwise, the, the, before that, the guitars were imitating the sound of the mbira. So when I came in, um, I brought in the mbira and my saxophone. And, and then I started arranging some brass sections and uh, some of the singing and maybe some of the dances sometimes. And also working very closely with guitarists like Jonas Tolle and mm. Ephraim Karimaura, you know, kind of giving them a, a map of how the mbira works. So, yeah, it was a fascinating time, eight years of that. Mm. Let's talk more about the mbira. Again, uh, for our listeners who aren't in studio with us, you mentioned that it's almost like a thumb piano inside a large gourd. It almost looks like a large pumpkin sitting on the lap of you and Nora Balaban. Um, but um, when you were playing with Thomas, how did the mbira sound back then, and how have you embraced um, the traditional sound of it now? Well, I would like to say, you know, one of the things that I really didn't like was that we, we tried to experiment and put a pickup on the mbira which then changed the sound of the mbira. And, and I remember some of the uh, recordings I had, even in Zimbabwe, where I was told to sort of uh, put gaffer tape on the buzzing of the mbira, and that didn't go down well with me, actually. It's one of the things that actually made me think, well, I don't think I can handle the change of the sound of the mbira that I'm hearing. And, and, and I think it's still something that I hear a lot in, you know, in the West, that people like to, you know, mute the buzzing of the mbira. But for me, that's, that's what connects me with the music. And, and I think the ancestors like the buzzing as well. And what creates that buzzing? It's, as you can see here, we've got bottle tops on the gourd itself. But sometimes we put shells. And in Zimbabwe, sometimes people put, you know, ostrich egg shells or some snail because, as you know, Zimbabwe is a landlocked country. We don't get 
much of the shells, but they, they also come from Mozambique and South Africa. So um, we, I, I think that's the character of the instrument, really, having the buzzing around it. Mm-hmm. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. In studio with me, uh, musician uh, uh, Chartwell Dutiro, also members of the group Timbila, Nora Balaban, and Banning Air, senior producer of Afropop Worldwide. I wanted to get back into some of the collaboration that you've done. Um, Nora, can you tell me again, you've been collaborating with Banning for some time, some of the songs on here that um, you particularly enjoyed collaborating on? Um, well, we also use the instrument timbila. The The group is named after timbila, which is the xylophone from Mozambique, from the Chopi area. And um, so Banning and I began by collaborating with traditional Mbira music. And slowly we added in timbila, which um, we included bass, drums, guitar, violin, and we created a more rock and roll sound using timbila. And um, we also began singing in English. So um, the collaboration included, you know, singing in English and also Banning developed a guitar style, which you can talk about more to go with timbila because traditionally there is no guitar with timbila. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, well, first I should mention that the entire group, there's just three of us here, but the entire group tonight will be playing at the Wood Library in South Windsor, 783 Main Street, 630 to 9:30, And we're going to do it all. We're going to do the traditional Zimbabwean songs with Chartwell, and we're going to have the timbila, and there's going to be video of Zimbabwe. It's going to be quite a happening. Highly recommended, <laughs> 630. But in terms of the guitar style, well, with timbila, as Nora said, there really wasn't a map. So we 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 got to just invent. With Mbira, it's a bit different because because as Chartwell mentioned, some of the guitars from the Blacks Unlimited, unfortunately, they are late. Uh, Jonas Atole and Ephraim Kari Maura and also Joshua Dubey. These are great guitarists who worked with the Blacks Unlimited and that I was really privileged to know and study with. And they... They, they they have developed a whole kind of tradition. I mean, each of them has their individual aspects, but within, under Thomas Mafumo's sort of concept, they have developed a whole way of playing Mbira music that I, I use, but in Timbila, I have the liberty of going beyond that. And it's interesting, Chartwell has somewhat different ideas about Thomas than Thomas about how guitar should be used. And uh, he's actually given me a lot of freedom and also taught me to listen to an Mbira piece, which doesn't have any chords in it, but to try to map it with chords. And I use this same technique with the timbila. You try to think like, if there were chords, if this melody were implying chords, what would they be? And then once you come up with chords that work, then that gives you new possibilities. You can improvise you know, the way you would in jazz or something, but you always have to do it within the sort of rhythmic language of the... So it's tricky, you know, it's a, it's a constant process of experimentation, but it's been very exciting because you really get to both go deep into the tradition and also innovate. Well, I think, Banny, we've been uh, teasing our listeners uh, talking about the instruments you've brought. We haven't heard you play live yet. Tell us what you'd like to play for us. <laughs> Shall we play chikende or... Or, or chin? Which one do you want? Chinyanganya. Let's do chin because okay. we'll we'll do we'll give you some uh, um, traditional Zimbabwean music as as arranged for the uh, the CD. Um, well, can you say anything about this song? 
Um, Chinyanganya is the, the traditional song, which means the invisible spirit.
You're listening to Where We Live. Uh, that's Chartwell Dutira, world-renowned vocalist, Mbira player, and teacher, uh, singing alongside Nora Balaban, a vocalist and Mbira player, co-founder of Timbila with Banning Air, senior producer of Afropop Worldwide. Uh, both uh, Chartwell and the members of Timbila have collaborated with a new CD called Sadza with the head of a mouse. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more about how you tune an instrument like the Mbira. Well, <laughs> I, well, I, well, one thing I like about this collaboration is based on uh, dialogue. We, we talk a lot about what we are trying to do. And uh, uh, sometimes it feels like we are just dealing with music, but it's more than that. It's, it's about people. It's about us connecting. And for me, the exciting thing is not about the tuning, it's actually how do we tune into our lives, you know, it's like when I think about playing with uh, Benning and which we have started a long time ago, you know, I was hoping that one day I will play with Benning because of how he is a, as a guitarist and as a human being. And for me, uh, that's the same thing with Nora, you know, the idea that she goes to Mozambique and goes to Zimbabwe and look at this culture uh, with empathy. For me, that's the tuning we have to talk about, not, not actually the instruments, because there's so much, it's full of prejudice and racism and all sort of things that comes, you know, when I mix you know, I don't want to be colorful here. You know, people would say, you know, wh why is that black guy playing with white people? Uh, the first thing I would deal with there is actually the color is very blind. I, I'm not black, they are not white. But there's a lot of connotations around that that also even comes to the idea that, you know, we have got this collaboration. Some people are going to look at it with a different view, saying that I don't think that's really African music. Or they might think, you know, Timbida, Nora, and Benning are bastardizing African music. That also comes into it. So this is the tuning, actually, that is <laughs> very important. You know, the instruments, I think, Benning can say more about what he does to his guitar. But I just wanted to talk about those issues that mm -hmm. are about people. And you know, you should think um, I'm taking this music out of the East context, which is traditional, you know, playing in ceremonies, uh, ritual ceremonies that are called the Bira, mm -hmm. where we play the music for the whole night and call the spirits of the ancestors. And I take that music out of there and bring it into, you know, United Kingdom where I'm living and into New York. And some traditionalists in Shona might think I'm selling out. I'm taking the music out of its context. And then I come to a place like New York. Some people will think, oh, those New York guys are bastardizing Shona music. They don't think we, are, we have a dialogue here. Why we are doing this is like building bridges between cultures. And I think that's the tuning. I don't know, Benning, you might <laughs> well, talk about Well, there's the a lot to it. I just, wanted to add what, I just wanted to add one thing before that, is that last summer I actually went to Zimbabwe for, I think, the fifth time, and I stayed in Chartwell's village. Chartwell wasn't there, but he 
introduced me to his family, and I stayed with his daughter and his relatives, and I studied with his uncle that he was speaking about, the one he learned from. And so I think that deepens the connection of what Charles was just mm -hmm. talking exactly. about, that I was exactly. able to live with his family and, and study from his teachers and experience the ceremonies and the village life. It was it made our connection much stronger. And Just Danny, a as a guitar player, I mean, how do you learn to play with this traditional music? Talk about that process well, for you. Okay, quick, quick, quickly about the tuning. The, the Mbira does have different tunings. There are sort of families of tunings, but then individual groups will have even more specific tunings. And I think that before the contact with Western instruments came along, mm -hmm. there were tunings that wouldn't map to the guitar. And even when we first started playing with Nora, she had embiras that I always had to tune my guitar to the embira, And there were always certain notes. And with the timbila, we have the same issue. There are certain notes that don't match exactly, and you just have to deal with that. But, but as far as actually what you play, um, I mean, the song we just played, that the, what I'm playing came about through this process that I described where Chartwell said, well, what are the chords? And I, and I, and I mapped it out quarterly and then came up with a line that I was just kind of imagining based on those chords and based on what I was hearing. Now, other times you'll play an exact line out of the embira. And like, and the, the, what the guitarists used to do when they were just imitating, as the chart well mentioned, is they would kind of mute the strings like... to try to make the guitar sound more like the embira. So I use that technique sometimes too because that was my first love. I heard I heard embira music when I was actually at Wesleyan University in the 70s. And um, so there's deep Connecticut ties here. Um, but then when I started hearing the early Mapfumo music where the guitar was imitating, I was just fascinated by that sound. And I spent a lot of time trying to learn to do that. But what we're doing now is kind of allowing, using that, but also going beyond that and, and, and you know, taking this more experimental approach, which is, so there's really a lot of ways that, that I can go now at this point, having done all that other work in, you know, preparation. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Uh, we're going to head into break, but we wanted to hear another track off of uh, Chartwell Dutiro and Timbila's new album, Sadza with the Head of a Mouse. Uh, this particular track is called I'm Gone. Banny, as we listen, what should we be Okay, so this is a Timbila track. And this is this is a song where it's based on a it's based on a traditional melody, right, Nora? Quickly, oh, it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a traditional Mbira. I mean, sorry, Timbila piece that I learned in Mozambique, and then we created. But something I figured original. out rock and roll chords for it, and we just went wild with it. And the lyrics are by Bob Holman of the Bowery Poetry Club in New York. Mm. This is where we live, and this song is called "I'm Gone." Each sound wants to be heard. 
This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up Monday, in the last 50 years, Sunday mass attendance in the Archdiocese of Hartford has declined 70 percent. The number of active priests down 65 percent. So it's not a surprise the Archdiocese is closing down and merging churches across the state. On the next Where We Live, we'll talk about those local mergers with priests and parishioners and find out how the Catholic Church is changing nationwide. That's on Monday. Now today we bring you music from Zimbabwe and the Mimbira tradition with musician Chartwell Dutiro in studio with us, alongside founding members of Timbila, Nora Balaban, and Banning Air, senior producer of Afropop Worldwide, a frequent contributor to NPR's All Things Considered, and a guest through the years on Where We Live. I wanted to ask uh, Nora Balaban, again, uh, one of the vocalists and co-founder of Timbila, to talk about you know what it was. We, we mentioned this a little bit earlier in the show, but um, when you heard that Mbira and the Timbila um, at some point in your career, what it was about those instruments and how you journeyed to both Mozambique and Zimbabwe to learn. Um, I was playing in the mid-'80s in a 10-piece African dance band called Mapenzi. I was playing marimbas, and the music was based on Mbira music from Zimbabwe. So after three years of playing in that group, I decided that I wanted to learn Mbira, which was the source of the music. And after a few months of learning Mbira, I decided to go to Zimbabwe so I could really study. So I went to Zimbabwe in 1996 to learn Mbira, and my plan was to stay for a few weeks, and I fell in love with Zimbabwe, and I stayed for 10 months. So, <laughs> And you're an American woman. Um, how did people respond to you? Were there a lot of other women playing the Mbira? At that point, there were not that many. There's a lot more now, but they loved it. I mean, I think they felt honored that I loved their music so much I wanted to go there and learn it. There, it was wonderful. And um, while I was there, I decided to go to Mozambique to find Timbila because back when I was playing in Mapenzi, uh, somebody had played me a cassette tape of Timbila music, and they didn't know anything about it other than it was from Mozambique. So I just fell in love with this music. I found it fascinating. It sounded kind of, sur it sounded like a surreal xylophone from outer space. <laughs> and I just thought, I have to find this music. So when I was in Zimbabwe, which borders Mozambique, I just went. and. In 96, 97, people did not really speak English in Mozambique, so it was challenging to try and even ask anybody how to find. But I did. I ended up finding the great master of Timbila music, Venancio Mbande, and um, he was the great player, composer, maker, everything. And um, I met him at a performance. It was a fluke, and it was also a fluke that he speaks English. Yeah. And he invited me to his home with his two wives and his 20 kids <laughs> with no electricity and no running water, and that was it. I was, like, hooked. You, you were hooked. <laughs> and now you teach the Mbira. Who are, who are your students? Um, well, I make a big effort to spread Mbira music. Um, so my students are anybody I can find. Um, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I used to own a music store in 
the East Village, and I used to teach out of my music store. And um, generally, when a lot of times when people hear Mbira, they just become fascinated by it. So um, I just keep that going. I've been teaching for maybe 15 years in New York and the area, just really out of a desire to spread this music. And um, Chartwell mentioned we met maybe four years ago or something in New York, and um, he was um, doing a performance with BAM, and I came over and met him and took one lesson. I was like, this is the best teacher I ever had. And the next day, in his hotel room, I brought 12 people to study with him, like crammed into his little <laughs> hotel room, you know, because <laughs> right, that's how we met. Yeah, that's how we <laughs> met. <laughs> and how, Chartwell, how have you seen uh, interest grow in others wanting to learn the Mbira? It's actually fascinating. That's, that's why I was talking about it's not just music. It's about the people and how the music affects people. Um, and it's nice to hear Nora saying that he thought I was the best teacher because, um, you know, you, you, I do what I do because of the love of the music and also to challenge, like I said before, before stereotypes and, and, and also to challenge myself about how I mix with other people from different cultures. And, and this is one of the fascinating things. And it's like opening a tin of worms, <laughs> you know, when, when you meet different cultures. And then there's all these things that come around it. And one of them is like this word appropriation mm. of culture and music. This, this comes very often in, in academic settings and, you know, in, in, in the copyright, the intellectual property. You know, I grew up with Mbira. And knowing that it's something that you share with people. And, and, and this is one of the challenges that we face as well when we collaborate and people say, who owns the ownership of this music and who is benefiting? And for me, it's uh, an ongoing conversation that needs to be dealt with in terms of appropriation. Well, we're so happy that you were able to share this tradition, this music with us. Um, before we run out of time, uh, Banning Air, again, tell us where we, people can hear you play with Chartwell. Okay, well, start tonight, 6.30 in South Windsor at the Wood Library, 783 Main Street. We'll be there from 6.30 to 9.30. We'll be playing both the, the traditional repertoire with Chartwell and our more experimental timbila stuff. We'll have the timbila. We'll have our our wonderful violinist, Rima Fand, and our bass player and drummer, Dirk Westervelt, and Bill Rule, and another vocalist, Louisa Bradshaw. So it'll be a full, big sound. And um, and then we're also, then we're going on to Boston tomorrow to play at the Lily Pad in Cambridge, 7.30 to 9.30. That's, um, I don't have the address in front of me, but the Lily Pad, if you're going to Boston, hit the Lily Pad tomorrow, Saturday night. We'll make sure we tweet out the information to our listeners. Good. Um, and I wanted to just get to the music before uh, we run out of time. We want to hear you uh, collaborate one more time for us. Again, oh, okay. Chartwell Dutiro, Banning Air, Nora Balaban, members of Timbila. Tell us what song you like to play. Uh, I think we're going to play a song that uh, doesn't exactly come from, it's more of a folk song, right? Yeah, maybe. it's, it's ch ch uh, Chikende, and it's about the title of the CD, oh, which is... Satsu with the head of a mouse. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to where we live. All right. <laughs> 